Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the word. Well, I don't have, um, I don't have much to add to that <laughs> other than uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be a part of this body and not only to be a part of this body, but be a part of the Big C Church across the world as we, uh, as, as we fight for our brothers and sisters who are in pain right now. So I appreciate you all participating in that in prayer and finances. So as we get started this morning, I would like to uh, introduce to you my dog, Denver. This is Denver right here. Um, don't allow this photo to fool you. Uh, he is not normally like this. Uh, is uh, a lot more rowdy uh, normally. Denver is a Staffordshire Terrier Bulldog mix. Uh, he is a rescue that uh, Hannah and I took in about two years ago. Excuse me, two years ago. Uh, when Denver, or when, when Hannah and I took Denver in, uh, he had been bounced around for, for a number of, uh, to a number of different houses, and he was not very interested in us when he first came in the door. And what he does when he gets stressed is he's a chewer. And so we gave him probably four or five, six toys during the first couple of weeks that we had him, and he destroyed all of them. He destroyed them all. He, he loves chewing, and he's a big chewer, especially when he's stressed. So he was just chewing a lot, and he wasn't very interested in us. He wouldn't let us get very close to him. He wasn't very interested in, in accepting pets or love or affection. Uh, he, he was kind of standoffish. But as much as he hated, uh, or not hated, but as much as he didn't like being around us, he hated being left. He hated being left. He had major separation anxiety. At first, when, when we left, at first we tried to just keep him in his kennel uh, because that's what the trainer had instructed us to do. And we came home one day and found that Denver had busted out of his kennel, like completely destroyed this thing, busted out. He was sitting there waiting for us on the couch when we got home. Um, and he, he, <laughs> he would, he, when we were gone, he would, he would stand at the door because we obviously kept him out of the cage after that. He'd stand at the door and he started gnawing on the, the door frame. He, he would like chew the door frame wanting to get out. He'd jump at the door and whine and scratch up the door. And it was a disaster. He wasn't, he wasn't a good dog. He was misbehaved. And Hannah and I were wondering if this was worth it. Did we make a mistake? <laughs> we, we were wondering if, if this was worth it and if it, was, if it was worth continuing on with this dog. Or if we should just throw in the towel. But after a couple of months, we started to notice a tangible change in Denver. Denver started to become a little bit more affectionate, a little bit more interested in us. He would accept pets and accept love. He would become a little bit more cuddly. He came and started sleeping in our bedroom, which he wasn't doing previously. He'd sleep out on the couch in the living room. When we left, he, he started to trust us a little bit more. His separation anxiety came down. He would sit on the couch and he'd wait for us to come home. He stopped gnawing the door frame. He stopped jumping at the door. He knew that he couldn't understand, but every time we left, we got down on his level and we said, we will come back. And we always came back. And he started to trust us a little bit more. He started to learn the expectations and the rules 
of the house and what was acceptable and what was not. He learned that there were punishments when he acted out, but we never hit him. He never hit him. He learned to love us better. And we learned to love him better. He acted out less. And in the context of this message of what we're talking about this morning, we could call that behavior Denver's fruit. That was the fruit of his life. And you see, after reflecting on this with Hannah, I think that we had come to the conclusion that Denver had never experienced two things in his life. Denver had never experienced a home with patience and love. And he had never experienced a home that had clear expectations. And when we finally gave him those things, his fruit. Now, don't get me wrong. Denver is not a finished product. And Denver will never be a finished product. He still grabs socks and runs around the house with them. He is still demanding and impatient for walks. And we're still not comfortable having him around kids. But through grace and patience and also expectations, Denver is working towards being the dog that we know he can be. And we love him no matter what. We love Denver no matter what. And I'll explain why I think this is significant for our topic this morning, but before we do that, over the next couple of weeks, just so you understand and know where we are going, Chuck and Jerome and I are going to split up our passage of what we're uh, getting into this morning, uh, John chapter 15, 1 through 17. And we're going to talk about it, what it looks like for God to produce fruit in us. What it looks like for us to go from no fruit to some fruit, from some fruit to more fruit, and from more fruit to much fruit. How does God do that and work in our lives? And we think that this is displayed beautifully in John chapter 15, 1 through 17. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. And just so we're clear, what we're talking about when I say fruit, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm talking about love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things reflected in our lives. How does God go about producing that for us? But here's the problem when it comes to fruit. And here's, here's what I think we experience. I think when it comes to producing fruit, we go to one of two extremes. Either we, we experience and we feel shame and being inadequate when we fall short in our fruit. When we don't live up to what Jesus has set for us, when we don't live up to the standard of producing fruit in our lives, we start to feel shame and we start to feel inadequate in our lives. We leave no room for grace. Or on the flip side of that, we become so self-righteous in our fruit, we become so self-righteous about the things that we do, that we actually take God out of the equation completely. That we lose our humility when it comes to that. Two separate extremes, which we'll talk about this morning. Because the reality is, like Denver, God showers us with grace and calls us to humility in our fruit with clear expectations. 
So with that, let's jump into our passage this morning. John chapter 15, we're going to go through the first four verses this morning. One through four. And as you're getting there, as you're flipping there and following along with us this morning, just a little bit of context for you to understand what's happening in this passage. So Jesus is at the end of his life. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be betrayed. And he's hanging out with his disciples and he has just washed his disciples' feet. And he's telling them all of these things that are going to happen and what's going to, what's going to come next that he's going to, come to go to the cross and that they are going to experience a period without him. And that eventually he will leave the earth entirely, but he's sending his Holy Spirit to be with them. And so he's, he's telling them all of these things of what to expect and how to act and how to live their lives and how to share this good news. And then he shares this with them, beginning in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So a couple of things of what I want us to get out of this passage this morning, and the first thing is this, that producing fruit is messy, and that's okay. Producing fruit is messy, and that's okay. So Jesus opens this section by describing two types of branches, right? He says there's the branch that does not produce fruit, and then there is the branch that does produce fruit. Pretty simple. We feel like we're tracking here with Jesus. And so for the branch that does not produce fruit, Jesus says, I cut off. He cuts off. And for us, when we read this, this seems pretty straightforward. We're not producing fruit. Any branch that does not produce fruit, it gets cut off off. But as Chuck and Jerome and I were meeting this week and talking about over the next three weeks what we're going to be discussing, and specifically this passage, Chuck pointed something out to us in, in this devotional like Jesus that, that we're going through and we're working through over the next couple of years. And if you're following along with us, author Dan Spader points out something about the Greek word for cut off. He says that this word that's used here can actually be translated in two ways. It can either be, be used as cut off, or it can be used as to lift up or move to a different place. This is the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 2, 11, when he tells the paralytic to pick up his mat and go home. So two separate ways that this word can be translated, and for this context, lift off, actually seems to be better. And why does this matter? And I think actually Spader describes this really well here in the devotional. So this quote comes from page 189 in his devotional. He says this, Even in a well-tended vineyard, vines sometimes fall off the carefully made fence, down into the dirt and the mud, and out of the sunlight. If they stay there long enough, they wither and become like a branch that's thrown away and burned. When a good gardener sees such a branch, he will lift it up, carefully clean it off, and place it back in the sunlight so that it will eventually bear fruit. So applying this then to our story, I think that we get a bit more of a gentle outlook of Jesus. 
See, as Jesus sees a branch in him that is not producing fruit, instead of immediately taking that branch and throwing it away, Jesus actually comes along and gently picks up that branch, cleans off that branch, and places it back in the sunlight to a place where it can begin to produce fruit again. Now, there are branches in him which do wither and which do die. And Jesus does refer to this later on in this passage in verse 6. And Jerome is going to take us through that a little bit more next week. So to be clear, we're not dismissing the importance of producing fruit. Jesus is very clear about that, that you, you must produce fruit in me. If you are in me, you produce fruit. But here specifically for this verse in context, Jesus puts this branch in a place where it can grow again. He continues by saying that even the branches that do produce fruit, and so these branches that do produce fruit, even they need to be pruned. Even those branches need to have things cut away from them so that they can produce even more fruit. So what do we take away from all of this? When I was about four or five years old, I was learning to, to ride my bike, and I'm a firstborn in my family, and so I kind of fall along the, the typical firstborn uh, status, and um, I was very uh, confident and sure of myself, but also uh, w- took a little bit of time and, and caution uh, in, in things in my life, particularly when it came to things like riding my bike. And so it took me a little while to get the hang of, of riding my bike. I, I was on training wheels for quite a while, and finally I was, I was getting off of those, but I, I couldn't go very far without my parents having to be there like right behind me and riding with me. And uh, I went through a long period where, man, I was riding, fall down, they'd have to pick me up, riding, fall down, pick me up and encourage me and continue with this. It, it, was, it was discouraging often because I was having a really hard time getting it. But eventually I, I felt that I was to the point where I was getting, I could get a little bit more than just in, in our cul-de-sac. So we had a lake that was over by our house just a little ways away. And, and there, the lake was sunk in and there was a path that kind of went around the end of, or the edge of the lake. And so it was summertime and my family was out and we were taking a walk slash ride uh, around this lake. And I was ahead of, of my, my family and I was feeling more confident on the bike. And uh, we came to a, to a part on the path that there was a hill um, and so I, I started riding up the hill, and I was doing okay at first. But as, as I got about halfway up the hill, I started losing some steam, right? And, and, and anybody who's ridden a bike in this room before, which should hopefully be most of us, you know what happens when you start to lose steam on a bike, right? Like you have to keep going in order to stay up. So I'm starting to lose steam on a bike, and I'm doing that thing, like as I'm trying to keep my balance, and I'm moving my handlebars like this. So I'm getting halfway up the hill, and all of a sudden, I just take a hard left and just take it, go down this hill that's like by this lake. So I take a hard left, and I'm screaming down towards the lake, and I hit the lake. Bam! Bike goes all over, and I'm sitting there all of a sudden. I don't remember much of this, but I'm just sitting there in the lake, and I'm cold, and I'm wet, and there's rocks that have cut me up on my legs, and I'm like, this is the worst. This is this, this position to be in the worst. I'm cut up. I'm hurting, I'm embarrassed, I'm cold, I'm wet, like all of these things. As a four-year-old, all you can do is sit there and you just start bawling. So I'm just sitting there and I'm bawling and I just remember it just being just a terrible period, terrible moment for my life. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, I'll never forget this, all of a sudden I feel two arms come behind me and I just get lifted up, turn me around, it was my mom. 
And she was there, and I'm, I'm losing it. I'm terrified. I'm all the things. And she just calmly looks at me. She looks up and down, makes sure that nothing's broken. It's good. A couple scrapes, but other than that, I'm fine. A very calm voice looks at me, and she just embraces me. Gives me a hug. One of the best hugs I've ever received in my life. Actually, probably the best hug that I've ever received in my life. Right there from my mom. She embraced me and gave me a hug. I knew everything was going to be okay. Friends, faith and fruit are messy. And it takes a long time, a lifetime rather, of falling and getting back up. Sometimes we fall harder than others. Sometimes we take a hard left and we go straight into the lake. Other times, man, we just need to be picked up a little. But it takes a lifetime of figuring this out. This out. Something in our life that God is working on or hindering our fruit. Sometimes we need to be pruned. God is taking things out of our life. Other times we need to full on be propped back up on that fence. But here's where I think that we need to be careful with this. Because in the process of picking up or in the process of pruning, if that goes unchecked, it can turn into shame. That feeling that, man, I'm defined by the bad things that I've done or the circumstances that I'm in. That addiction that I'm facing, those marital issues that I'm struggling with, the struggles that I have with anger, the feeling that I've failed or I'm failing as a parent or a guardian, even the things that aren't sinful but are hard, such as anxiety and depression and mental health, the things in our lives that weigh us down that tell us that they define us. This is who you are. You are a bad person. You have nothing to offer. They show us the places where we've fallen over and over and over, where we've failed to produce fruit, and that those things tell us that this is what defines you. We compare ourselves to others. We say to ourselves, man, I could never be that person. That person has so much better of a life than me. They're figuring things out. They've got it down, but me, I'm struggling. I can't do this. And I'm willing to bet that there are many of us in here who have felt or are feeling the same thing. But church, these things are lies. These things are lies because we serve a patient God, one who offers so much grace in the midst of our struggles, who picks us up over and over again, who is willing to prune us and cuts away the things which don't serve him. And that process is hard. I get that. I've been there. I am there. That process is hard. It's uncomfortable to have things cut away from us. It's uncomfortable to face sin, to face struggle, to face pain. It's uncomfortable to admit that we are not okay. It's okay to do that, but it's hard. And we have to be humble and we have to be willing to say yes to Jesus in that process in order for him to prune us, in order for him to pick us up. And we'll talk about that more here in a moment. But the thing of what I want us to get out of this and understand is God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. When we are sitting in the lake and when we are cold and when we are defeated and when we are bruised and when we are bumped and when we are in the worst possible place that we could think of, Jesus comes along and he calmly picks us up and he brushes us off and he puts us back on the fence. Fruit bearing is not linear, not perfect, it's not pretty. 
But in it, we experience God's grace. And in it, other people experience God's grace. Now, what this doesn't mean is that that means it's okay for us or we should just stay down. We shouldn't just stay down. We need to come to a place, of course, where we are producing fruits. Jesus needs us to produce fruit. And to do that, we have to stay connected to the vine. And in order to stay connected to the vine, there is another extreme where we must avoid. We must avoid the extreme of shame, but we also must avoid the extreme of self-righteousness. And that leads to our final point this morning, which is this, that to remain in the vine, humility must lead the way. To remain in the vine, humility must lead the way. So Jesus says in verse 3, You are already clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. And this is a nod to Jesus' redemptive work in us. Like there is nothing that you do that makes you clean, but it is all about me and the words that I have spoken and the things that I have done. And then in verse 4, he says that we must remain in the vine to produce fruit. And I think that on the surface, we read that and we're like, all right, that's no problem, Jesus. I got that on lock, right? Like, we, we stay connected to the vine. That makes sense. Like, that's not hard. Yes, to stay, to, to be producing fruit, I need to stay connected to the vine. That goes without saying. But I think that staying connected to the vine, conceptualizing that, is easy. But actually putting that to practice is another thing. When Hannah and I lived up in uh, Marin, up in uh, Northern California, we uh, went through a particularly rainy winter uh, one year, and it was raining all the time. And I'm talking like two straight weeks of just rain all the time. I've never hated water so much in my life. It was so much rain. And what I started to notice um, eventually was that our, so our car was parked outside. We didn't have a garage. So our car was parked outside, and it was raining all the time. And eventually, I started to notice, we get into the car, and there was like this musty smell that was, that was coming. It was subtle at first, and I was like, ah, that's kind of, that's kind of gross. Put, a, put an air freshener in there, we're good to go. Uh, and, and, but, the, but the smell continued. I was like, my gosh, like, what is that? And, and it got to the point where it was like, it was almost unbearable. So I, I was looking around the car, I'm like trying to figure this out. I'm like, there has to be something in here or whatever that's going on. And eventually I open up the trunk, and I find that there's a, there's a, a leak in the seal in our trunk. So there's water that's been coming in, and it's making the, the floorboards and the carpet and all that in there wet. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll seal this up, and, uh, and hopefully we can, we can dry this out enough to where it'll be okay. So I sealed it up, dry everything in there, left the, the trunk open when it was sunny, dry it out a little bit, thinking I'm good to go solve the problem. But the problem wasn't solved, and it just kept getting worse, and it was smelled so bad to the point where I was like, I have to figure this out. What is going on? So I knew where the smell was coming from, but I didn't know what was happening, so I'm looking in the trunk, and I'm trying to figure out what is going on, and eventually it hit me. I was like, oh, what if I lift up this flap that's covering the spare tire? I was like, ah, I don't want to do that, <laughs> but, but I have to. I got to do it. So I became brave, and I lifted it up, and it was like a wave of smell just, boom, smacked me right in the face. It was awful. Worst smell I've ever, ever experienced in my life. I opened it up, and I found just this pool of green, nasty, stagnant water that had just been sitting in the wheel well of the spare tire. I was like, that's it. Found it. 
found where the smell is coming from. So I had to clear out all of the water, dried it out, everything was fine. Smell eventually went away. Church, here's the thing. Let's ask ourselves this this morning. Are we humble enough to open up the tire covers of our life? And if we do, what will we find? Because when Jesus is talking about remaining in the vine, he's not just talking about worship and prayer and service and coming to church. And I'm super glad that all of you are here and worshiping with us this morning. That's certainly a part of it, but there is more to it. Do we genuinely reflect the fruits of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5, through 23? And what I mean by that is this. Do we lead with love, kindness, gentleness, and patience? Do we lead with those things in a world that is so contentious, in a world that we are, fi- we are faced with people who we disagree with all the time, and we are taught that we need, to, we need to get into people's faces, that we need to argue with them until we've proven our point? Do we lead with love, with kindness, with gentleness, with patience? Are we peacemakers? And what I mean by peacemakers is are we, are we not just neutral parties, but are we speaking up when it's hard? Do we strive through, for peace through, through truth and not neutrality and silence? Do we carry ourselves with joy? And what I mean by joy is not just being happy all the time, but do we carry ourselves with this hope that we have in Jesus? And do we, do we show that to other people by the way that we treat them and by the way that we act? Are we non-anxious people to an anxious world? Are we peacemakers? Are we under control of sin and anger and addiction? Or are we slaves to something other than God? To put it another way, do we see the Beatitudes, which we read this morning in Matthew 5, reflected in our lives? Are we humble enough to be poor in spirit and not self-righteous? Do we mourn with others, not trying to make things better, but simply sitting with them in empathy? getting down to the hard things with people? Are we faithful and patient in times of hardship? Are we okay with being meek and tender in the way that we carry ourselves? Are we merciful and justice pursuers as well as peacemakers? Because church, this is what it means to be attached to the vine. That's what it looks like. And this is what Jesus calls us to. And it's a lot harder than coming to church on Sunday. And it's a lot harder than just keeping our streak up on the Bible app. But Jesus calls us to this. The hard work of this. To begin to produce fruit, this is what it looks like. Paul makes this connection between fruit and humility in Galatians 5.23. After listing off the, the fruits of the Spirit, Paul says this. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, the passion, with its passions and desires. And what Paul is saying, look, it takes a humble person to do constant evaluation in our life. Because it requires for us to recognize the places where we are broken. Where I miss the mark. The places where God is trying to prune in me, drag out of me, that are hindering my fruit. Dying to pride. Dying to self in the, produce, in the, in the pursuit of fruit. But church, we can't do this alone. None of that can happen 
unless we are attached to the vine. Fruit does not come from a life that is separated from the vine. And the hope that we have in Jesus is that he is patient and and faithful to prune us. He is faithful to pick us back up and put us on the fence. He is faithful to be there for us and that there is no life that is beyond redemption. That there is no life that is beyond producing fruit. That's the hope that we hang on to, but at the same time, we cannot do this on our own. We have to be humble enough to let Jesus in. We have to be humble enough to say yes. And this is how we begin to produce fruit. This is how we go from a place of no fruit to some fruit. So over the next uh, five minutes or so, in lieu of our sharing time down the aisles, what we would like to do, like we did a couple of weeks ago, is simply share with the people who are around you in your small group, and what did you see in this story? What did, what did Jesus show you in this story? What did you get out of this? If you're brave enough, you can go across the room, find somebody you, didn't know, you don't know, but you can also feel, feel free and welcome to do it just in your pod that you came with. Take about five minutes to discuss with one another, and we'll come back. So church, the, uh, the big idea, this might, well actually, before I go into that, I should say, thank you for participating in that. Uh, I know it's a little unorthodox, some of the things that, that we do here, but uh, we firmly believe here at FCC that w- we want you to be able to experience these things and us to be able to experience these things that are coming out of Scripture together. And, and we find that this is the best way to do it, not just somebody up front uh, teaching or, or, or telling stories, but also being able to explore these things together as a body. A lot of really great things come out of that, and so that's a value for us, and, and that's why we do those things. And so we appreciate you taking some time to do that with us this morning. So the big idea this morning is this, that Jesus is patient with, but expectant of his fruit bearers. Okay, Jesus is patient with, but expectant of his fruit bearers. So Jesus plays and balances both of these roles so well. He is faithful to sit with us, to prune us, to, to, to be patient with us in the hard things of our lives and the things that he is trying to work out in us. No matter how many times we fall away, he is there and faithful to pick us back up. But at the same time, Jesus expects us to be humble enough to allow him in and allow him to work in our lives to produce fruit, to stay attached to the vine. He has an expectation for us as well as his fruit bearers, to reflect his heart and do the hard work of allowing him to prune in our life. Friends, faith is not easy, and fruit is certainly not easy, and it shouldn't be. If you're experiencing a faith that's easy, if you're experiencing fruit that's easy, we've got to figure something out. Because fruit and faith are not designed to be easy. They're designed to be life-giving, but they should not be easy. Fortunately, in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the pain of, of faith and trying to figure out life, we have a gardener who is faithful to care for us and help us to grow and produce that fruit. So we're going to jump into a time of communion.